And welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Grappling Podcast, the official podcast of PCI Jiu-Jitsu in Mission Viejo, California, under the tutelage of Coach Brian. I'm your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Coach Brian. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing groovy. All right. All right. Well, we've yeah, we've got another awesome guest on. We've got a very unique guest, I really like to say. Um, Six-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Is that at six degree? What are you considered a master? I think I'm going to say master. So we'll say master Richard Bressler. <laughs> Not, yet. Not yet. Okay. Professor then professor Richard Bressler, six degree black belt. One of, if not Horion Gracie's first student, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Oh, very cool. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Thanks for making time to be with us. Thank you for making time to have me. All right. Very cool. Here, should I? Nope. You're good. You're good. Yeah, we can hear you just fine. So, all right. Well, welcome to the show. And on the Level Up Grappling Podcast, one of the things we like to do is just really try to get to know who you are and really gather insight through our guests as to how, you know, what can we do to level up our listeners grappling and including ours. And so the way that we're set up, um, Richard, is that Brian is my personal coach uh, in jujitsu and grappling, and I'm a white belt. And so I'm kind of like, it's the white belt, black belt kind of exchange. And so I'm kind of here to learn from you. I'm here to learn from the both of you, have an exchange and dialogue about, you know, what you've learned, what you've experienced and what you can pass along to our listeners. And so, again, thanks for being on the show. And I'd like to start off kind of with a little bit of really your history. And like I said, first student to Horion Gracie. What do you, how did, how did that even all happen? Did you know about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before even meeting him? (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, (laughs) There's no way I could have, who would have ever heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I mean, I just, you know, the self-defense or fighting was punching and kicking. You know, that was that in the movies. It was that when you went around town, you saw, you know, karate studios or taekwondo or whatever it was you that's what that's all you saw so you know i it's just something that uh i wasn't looking for anything i was just uh living my life as an unhappy person doing something in a family business that i absolutely hated which is the fast food business and uh, and it just so happens that I I happen to have an extra waterbed <laughs> up for sale, and Orion's roommate answered the ad, um, and the recycler, um, which I don't even know if it's around anymore, um, and left a message to my machine when I called him back. Florian answered and said he already bought a mattress, but and I was about ready to hang up. And then he said, "Okay," I, he said, "But I'm looking for one." So I said, "Okay," and I told him I lived in the marina. He drove over. We talked. You know, he, I sold him a mattress, sold him some sheets. He got a, you know, he basically stole them from me. He got such a good deal. <laughs> and she's walking out the door. Um. He asked me if I've ever done any martial arts. So I just happened to, you know, tell him that I boxed for a few months. And uh, 
And then I said, why? And he said, well, my family's been doing, you know, jujitsu in Brazil and we're very well known. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, sure you are. You know, you're well known and we're champions and, you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but he invited me for a free class and I was curious and I went over and, uh, and I got hooked and this was what, 44 years ago. Wow. So, 79. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, it's, it's funny. I think for, for our listeners, for those who are young, we used to have something called an answering machine. <laughs> and this is obviously prior to Craigslist. And so we, yeah, we used to have to put ads out and that's how things were sold. That's how the people got connected. You know, nowadays it's like, we just go on Instagram and message somebody nowadays. I mean, connections are pretty crazy. So to me, it's like, it's, it's just interesting to hear, you know, how it's just a happen chance that you ended up meeting him all over this ad for a waterbed. Right. And in essence, it's actually how I got started with, with coach Brian here about just, I was just randomly searching for a jujitsu school in my area. And it just so happened that I got connected with him and wow. That, I mean, that's cool. What was the, what was the school like? I mean, was it just kind of a garage school at the time or did he have an establishment? No, it, it was his, he was living in North Redondo beach. He, it was, there wasn't a school. It was basically his garage. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, went up to the door. He answered the front door and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit. He handed me a, a freshly laundered ghee, you know, that you realize what, or a kimono, whatever it's called. And, and you real I mean, these were like really old style. They were all one color. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, it wasn't white. It was kind of like a neutral color, a bone, I guess you'd call it or whatever, a beige. And, uh, you know, which definitely was used. I mean, they had a lot of wear and tear and he had quite a few in his closet. And, uh, I put that on and we went out to the garage and, and, uh, you know, he had some mats down. I mean, it, nothing about it was a professional studio. Mm. That's the thing. That's the difference is that you couldn't like right now you're searching for a jujitsu school. There wasn't a jujitsu school to search for. I mean, I didn't even know what jujitsu was, you know, so it was just that I I heard what he had to say. And I said, okay, I'll I'll check it out. What do I have to lose? Hmm. It was free. It was just my time. And, you know, and he was so, he was very calm, very confident. I said, what, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Years. So that was actually going to be my next question was kind of like in, you know, if somebody presents this, this new thing to you and it was kind of just trying to want to, I was wanting to deepen, dive in a little bit into like, yeah. What kind of sparked you to just even make the decision to say, Hey, what do I have to lose? I'm going to do it. And you, and you go over to his house to knock on this door. And next thing you know, here you are in this kimono in a garage, you know, um, you said that you only had a few months of boxing prior. Was there a desire to learn martial arts for you? I think in the back of my mind, I think all, 
Well, I, I can't say all, but I think there's quite a few um, people who want to learn to defend themselves. And because watching movies like Billy Jack mm. and uh, Bruce Lee, Enter the Dragon, yep. it, we'd all come out of the movies, you know, sitting there making these, you know, like, and screaming, <laughs> thinking that we could watch this and you know, take on 50 guys, <laughs> you know, it, it's, we all want to have that. We have that something that we want to be able to defend ourselves. you know, feel confident, but I wasn't searching. I wasn't actively going, you know what? I really, you know, I, w- I want to do something. It's just, you know, my brother, I think was doing a tongue sudo, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, but you know, it it could have been after I got started. I don't even remember. It's been so long. Mm. Started first, but uh, you know, it, it there. It's not anything that that I was searching for. Got it. Got it. And so, consciously, yeah, yeah, understood. So, what was it? What was it like then? You know, you you kind of gave us the picture of like, yeah, he's got the garage, he's got kind of these used geese, you know, the bone colored geese, beige, whatever you want to call it. And they're just, you know, you're in this guy's garage rolling around. I mean, what was it like? Like, I would say maybe during the first year of your training. Um, gosh, what was it like? Um, by the way, guys, I don't know if I, if you're, if you know, but I wrote a book. Oh. Oh, yeah, actually, and, yes, I have heard about it. Okay. Oh, you haven't read the book? I have not, okay, I, I have not read it, but I've heard about it. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> I'll do the book, okay? All right. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, what was the question? Oh, so what was it like in the, what was, yeah, <laughs> what was it like in, uh, what was it like in the, like your first year training with him? I know that you, you said it's been years since this, but if you could bring yourself back to kind of what you were feeling, what you were experiencing, you know, if you could just, cause all of us, I would say, especially for me with my jujitsu in the sense that obviously jujitsu has transformed into what it is today. And I'm learning it through what's been passed down from teacher to teacher to teacher to finally to me and so for you to for me to sit here with you and say like you you were number your generation number one in essence what was it like <laughs> you know the thing is when i when i went in there one of the things that horian told me is he says their style of juju i don't even know if he said it's their style but he just said you know Jiu-jitsu is the most effective form of martial art. Hmm. You know, it's it is the most effective form, and I just you know, and and I, and I saw what he was doing, and, and remember when if that's if what I see on TV or when I drive past a Chuck Norris or an Ed Parker karate school, you know, and if you just see guys doing katas and you know, screaming and punching and kicking. That's what you think effective self-defense and a martial art is. When you go into someone's garage and it's the only one out there and 
your first stand-up techniques aren't punching or kicking, it, you kind of go like, oh, wait a minute. He, like how to get out of a choke, how to get out of an arm. You know, he said, look, you can always punch somebody. He says, but, you know, one of the things that he always told me, he says, what if it's your, you're at a barbecue and your Uncle John has a few too many, you know, too many drinks and he grabs you a certain way. He says, if, if all you know is striking and you punch him, you're going to knock out your uncle because he was out of hand. He said, not you, he said, now you could basically contain him without hurting the guy. Mm-hmm. So like the, the control and you don't have to hurt somebody to control them. So, you know, I was very drawn to that, but still in the back of my mind going, well, if he got into a fight with somebody who knows how to punch, he's, he's done because those guys are so fast and with their kicks and their punches. And I went, you know, so it took me a while coming back and learning the self-defense. Um, also going to the ground, you know, when he put me down on the ground, he says, okay, escape. And, you know, I couldn't escape. I'm just sitting there hopeless. You know, I went, okay. And he said, this is what he says. When we put somebody down to the ground, and I felt like I, I was thinking always, yeah, but how are you going to get him down there? These guys are so fast, they're going to knock you up before it happens. And it, it, I just couldn't until, I mean, look, even guys who saw the UFC, who even saw before the UFC, who saw the inaction um, VHS tapes that you can see online now, when you when the early guys saw those and there was a clinch, they go, "Ah, yeah, but uh, I I'm a much better puncher than him, and I can I can knock him out. I can do this. I can do that." I mean, everybody thinks that because that's your frame of reference to what fighting was. They all thought, that. Mm-hmm. and and myself included. I mean, I heard what he was saying, but I I wasn't sold. Mm-hmm completely but the more we went on and then i heard he you know he went into others cry he went before me he went into a a studio because he was always looking for students Mm -hmm. and he he always went into exchange ideas and he would you know see what the guys would say and and horing would say yeah but what if you what if you get knocked down to the ground and someone's on top of you, what do you do? You know, and, and part of the, the instructors would say to Horian, that'll never happen to me. Mm. And Horian says, well, it, what about your students? It could happen to your students. And, you know, and the guy would, it, it kind of turned to a verbal thing. And then Horian would say, look, what you do is good, but it's not going to stand up to this. And they turn into an argument. And Horry says, look, why don't we just square off right now? You know, and he would end up taking the guy down, you know, and it would cause a big rift. Mm-hmm. He would get kicked out of, the sc- out of the school. And he was making enemies, and he told me, he said, look, Richard, 
He said, I don't want to make enemies. I'm trying to attract people to do this. So I have to remain the neutral guy. But you can be that guy they don't like. You can go in and challenge them. And you can say, you know, in other words, basically in my book, I was, I had carte blanche to just do whatever the hell I wanted to do. <laughs> to fight. I mean, in the book, it says I was the unofficial or the official shit starter. <laughs> so can I ask you a follow-up question to that, Richard? Um, Absolutely. What, how developed were the actual takedown, was the actual takedown system that Horion taught you? Because when you watch those Gracie in action videos, it's really just kind of a basic uh, clinch drag that in today's day is not going to be effective at all. So I'm wondering, like, how much stand-up grappling did you actually do? And uh, if you actually ever, you know, looking at it today, if you were back then, if you were actually facing somebody that knew stand-up gra grappling, like, say, like a Greco guy or a judoka, how effective do you think that would have been? Because that, you have to get them to the ground, right? So if you have somebody that is a superior stand-up grappler, how are you going to get them to the ground? Well, well, to look, because everything else has morphed into something, mm -hmm. I mean, be, and it's only because of the education and how it, things started here, what happened. I mean, this, this is the evolution of fighting, mm -hmm. and it happened in this country because of the UFC and because of how this started, because when you... Remember, the early days of the UFC, and even before then, we had wrestlers come over, but they weren't afraid to go to the ground. Mm -hmm. So when people stood up and clinched, because a lot of what he did was either clinch, body fold, or just a, a trip, mm -hmm. getting really close, and then hooking the leg and taking the guy down, they had... In the early days of the UFC, I remember because when I was teaching at the Gracie Academy, after I left Torrance, I, I was teaching at Krav Maga for quite some time. And Krav Maga, you know, one of the things they were always saying is, well, we don't want to go to the ground. And I said, look, back then, I said, you can't help but go into the ground most of the time. Because, you know, one of the things that Horn was saying, he says, 95% of all the fights will go to the ground. A lot of times it just happens. But if you have an experienced stand-up guy that has wrestling, it's obviously changed things, but only because of the evolution of fighting. So I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just wondering, like, I really, I'm very curious, like, how much time did you and Horion spend in the stand-up grappling training compared to the ground grappling? Well, we, we learned stand-up self-defense, and we did some takedowns. We did, sometimes we did two-on-one takedowns if we had to, to, you know, because he taught law enforcement, too. Mm -hmm. Slowly, he was attracting you know, different other people, I would tell somebody who would tell somebody. And 
you know, there was a, we encompassed, it wasn't just all stand up. He, he said like, you know, because one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, uh, I, I don't know the word I'm searching for, but people would always say, well, wait a sec. What about you go to the ground? What about multiple attackers? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Hori and also, you know, one of the things he said about that, he said, look, can you imagine fighting two of you? He says, multiple attackers, I don't care how much you learn. It's not so much what you learn. It, what, what is the, what's the saying? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's, it's the, it's, oh God, what, I forgot. <laughs> You guys know what I'm saying. I, I get where you're going. Yeah, I get where you're going with it. It's the person itself. How much you really want to, you know, to deal with this? But to deal with two people, he taught us how to circle, how to put one of them in between, instead of trying to take one at a time. I mean, there were always aspects of that, but we did not do a lot of a lot of preparation for taking somebody down because we didn't, there wasn't a need for it then. Mm. We did the challenges and we got the guy down. Oh, interesting. Orion took all, he took on wrestlers and other people and they, they all went down. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm to kind of circle back a little bit and I, I think this kind of goes in and I'd like to lead into your book. Um, but I have a question in the sense of, like you were saying, how Horion was going to the schools. Now, were you traveling with him to visit other schools to have these, you know, like you said, the exchanges? <laughs> and we did go to an American jiu-jitsu school. Oh, okay. Um, so when, when you were with him and like you were saying where he was kind of like, hey, I, I need to remain neutral. You're going to kind of be the guy. You can go out there and do anything. What what was that like during that period? And how, how, in essence, how long were you guys going around to other schools and just, you know, meeting with people and whether it turned into anything else, into an exhibition match or not, but just where, like, how often were you guys traveling? Because that's a part of the Gracie history that I'm actually quite fascinated with as to what that was about. And I like to use that as kind of a, a catapult into to you talking to us about your book, if you don't mind. <laughs> we didn't do a lot of traveling. We went to Benny Urquidez's place mm -hmm. back in the, he was at the, I think the North Valley YMCA. Mm -hmm. um, and probably 1981, um, early 80s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went into a couple places, including the jujitsu school. Which I expected, I, I didn't know there was a, and it was in the South Bay. I went like, wow, a jiu-jitsu school. But I saw the sign outside and it said American Jiu-Jitsu. Hmm. So I, I was like, when we walked in there, I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. There's jiu-jitsu here. And when the guys were doing it, I saw the black belts doing a, you know, like they were punching a choreography where they grabbed the fist and flip somebody. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't what I've learned. So, you know, we, we kind of, I, I wanted to see, Horian wanted to see, and 
because back then I was a blue belt mm -hmm. and probably the highest ranked student that he had. We, we go in there and, and uh, the guy says to Horian, he says, okay, Horian, he said, because we didn't have our geese on yet. He said, your students, he said, you bring your black belt, your, you and your black belts with me and the rest of the guys go over, you know, and he kind of just brushed us off, go in the corner with the, with the other guys, mm -hmm. you know, so I was starting to walk away to the corner with the other guys. And Horian grabs me by the, the sleeve, and he says, Richard, you come with me. And I said, Horian, I said, he said black belts. And he said, trust me, you know more than these guys. <laughs> I'm like going, oh, my God. You know, his confidence in me was much more than my confidence in me. Mm. So, you know, Horian was saying what you did is nice. He said, but what would you do? If you found yourself on the ground, he says, why don't you lay down, my friend? And he says, Richard, mount on top of him. And I'm like, going, oh, my gosh, what is he? We, none of this was scripted. I had no idea what to expect. But he says, mount on top of the guy. So I mount on top of the guy. From the bottom, the guy reaches up and puts pressure, you know, on the little bone. Yeah, yeah. And starts pushing down. And I start to feel, oh, wow, that's pretty tender. So all I did was just move forward, took a higher mount, and reached up. The guy couldn't reach me. <laughs> he grabbed my gi, went to throw me up. As I started to fall off, I grabbed his arm, snatched the arm lock. As soon as I got the arm lock, Horian, like, clapped really loud, and I looked at him, and he, and he waved me off. He said, don't catch him. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, here's my chance. Yeah. And so I, so I let go of the arm lock, and then he said, okay, Richard, he says, you lay down, and he has the guy mount on top of me, and he says, hold him down. So the guy goes to hold me down. I did a trap and roll, and it was out. And, you know, I could feel the guy's energy was just using so much power, mm -hmm. and I got out in like two seconds. So that and what happened in, in Benny Arquita's school, which was different, because Benny told Horian, you know, they did kind of a, it was very unclear why we were going there. Hmm. So Benny and Horian were just kind of like standing up doing a little demonstration what would happen. And Benny was going really slow, but Horian would always clinch in and take him down. And so Benny told Horian, he said, look, he said, I don't think it's your art. He said, I think it's you. And Horian said, no, it's not me. It's the art. Richard, go put your gi on. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and next thing I know, I have a gi on. And I'm like, and, and, and back in these early days, I, I was doing, I was doing drugs. Hmm. I wasn't a happy person. My life hadn't completely turned around yet. And all I know is that I put a gi on. And, you know, I'm not a big guy. I'm back then, I think I'm 5'10, 150 pounds. Hmm. Now I'm 140. But the guy that he had me up against was, all I know is the belt was really worn. The guy was at least 30, 40 pig pounds bigger than me. Mm -hmm. So, and I had no idea what the hell to do. He just said, look, Richard, just cover up, 
And when I say go, charge him and clinch him and take him down. And that's exactly what happened. The guy, I think the guy was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> You're only expecting someone to punch and kick you. Even though he saw what Horian was doing, he might have thought I would have come in slower. But I didn't have a lot of experience. So I, all I did was cover up, clinch, took him down. And Horian said, okay, stop. He said, the, the point is, the fight went down to the ground. Mm. So I felt relieved just because I didn't get knocked out. <laughs> down. But that's exactly what, was, what we were doing. And then what happened was people would, other students would tell other guys. I had a, I had a black belt in Kempo that worked for me. I brought him over. Other people would bring people, boxers, wrestlers over to the house. Mm -hmm. I lived with Horan for, for a year in 1980. Mm. The, the garage, Hermosa beach was my, was, you know, that's where I lived with Horan for a year. Mm. So the guys would come over there and, and I never saw anybody give him a hard time. Mm. So, you know, that's when I, I kind of started seeing, wait a second, there's something to this. Yeah. So, so through that development and in, in essence, through that transition, I think this, I'd love to hear more about your book and kind of like, yeah, how did jujitsu save your life? What's it about? And you know, how, obviously you've been doing this for a long time. And, and so I'd like to dive in and kind of transition from just the storytelling from there to understanding why you wrote the book. What is the book about? And, you know, what message do you have the, for the world around it? <laughs> well, because I've been teaching for, I've been teaching now for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, because I had a very unique, I, I was one of the first to go through Horian's instructor certification. There was me and three other guys. Mm -hmm. I spent so much time around Horian, uh, helping him teach class and learning from him. And so after I left the academy and, you know, I was at Krav Maga for like 20 years and teaching the classes, a lot of times when I would show a move, I would say, well, you know, when I, the first week we lived, you know, I lived with Horian, I met, you know, Hickson. Elio Gracie and Carlos Gracie Jr. came and spent the week with us. The first week we were in the in the house. Wow. So I had a class with each of those guys. Um, and then I shared the mat, had quite a few privates with Hickson after that, had uh, a few privates with, you know, Grandmaster Elio Gracie. So when I would be showing a move, I would say, oh, yeah, by the way, Elio Gracie showed me this. So, and I'd be explaining. So a lot of times when I'd be showing a move, I would break into a story. <laughs> so I had a lot of students come up to me saying, you know, Richard, you should really write a book. And I went, yeah, 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 you're, yeah maybe I should. And then probably about four years ago or so, one of my students who's now, who's now a black belt and, uh, hang on one second. Let me just tell my brother, I'll call him back. Sure. Hey, bro, I'm going to have to call you back, all right? Yes. Okay, bye-bye.
Um, he said, he said, Richard, you know, you should really write a book. And I went, yeah, I know. I've heard that before. And he goes, and he, he got in my face and he goes, Richard, he said, I know you've heard this, but write a book. <laughs> this. And I was like, whoa, dude. Okay. You know, calm down. And so, but it, it clicked inside of me. So I started talking to my students and I said, anyone with any writing experience, because I'm not a writer, mm -hmm. ADD, you know, I could, I could, and they just said, all you got to do is sit down with a typewriter. And I'm like, mm, you don't, you don't know my brain or sit down with a recorder. I said, it's not the same if someone asked me questions yeah. versus yeah. me just recording. Anyway, so the student of mine, we, I started, she said, I have writing experience. I went over to her house probably maybe a dozen times. And she would ask some other students over. And she goes, hey, we're going to have story time with Richard. And she would sit down with her MacBook, turn on the recorder. And also she was a touch typist. And she started, you know, we started going over there. And I started telling her what was happening. Well, it, it got to a point where, she had writing experience, but she wasn't really a writer. Mm -hmm. So things kind of fizzled out. And we had some information. And I put something on Facebook. And I said, I asked a question. I said, look, I'm writing a book. And I'd like to know if anybody could come up with a good title. Well, Scott, who ended up writing for me, he said, you know, he said, look, you know, he, he answered the questions and then said, look, I have writing experience. Why don't you, you know, give me, you know, a, a try, you know, and I'll, I'll be glad to help you out. And before him, there was someone else that I was talking to, but everyone was trying, but if he wasn't, you know, I, look, I needed some, what I needed was a ghostwriter, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but pay somebody because I didn't know what I the book that I had was going to be this as good as it is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Scott helps me spent hours talking with him going back and forth. And he came up with this thing. And, and all of a sudden I went like, wow. And we published it like three years ago and it's getting, you know, right now we sold over, I don't know, maybe 6,000 books. Wow. We have over 300 five-star reviews People love the book. I've I've been people have reached out, told me different things about how it's helped them. When I was starting jujitsu, I was in the fast food business. I was doing drugs, quaaludes, cocaine, smoking pot every day. Wow. Wasn't a very happy person. Mm -hmm. And after living with Horian and having no eating habits to start to he said, look, start eating, you know, they had the Gracie diet. And, and I, so I started eating meals with him and I started learning and, and doing jujitsu and living a different lifestyle. And, and, and I was eating candy bars and eating junk all the time. I haven't eaten a candy bar or had a Coca-Cola or any commercial kind of fast food or junk food in probably over 40 years wow. it turned my life around uh, i don't do drugs i eat a clean diet 
And, I, you know, I want my body to last. I'm going to be 72 in a couple of weeks. Wow. You don't and like it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I wish I didn't feel it. But that's a good story. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that it turned my life around. It. It's helped me to, to be more calm mm-hmm. um, and also given me something to share that I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I got to experience, you know, that's right. So, Horian came to me. He had, at one time he had four garages going. He had the Machados in one, he had Hicks in one, Hoyler in one, and Hoyce. And finally came, and, and he, we were doing martial arts magazines. I'm in a few inside karate and black belt magazines doing demonstrations with him and starting to do seminars, starting to get noticed. And he came to me and he said, Richard, he said, if we're going to take this thing any further, we got to get out of a garage. We have to have a school. So I said, yeah, I agree. And he said, Richard, and he does this. Like I need money. And I said, yeah, of course I have money. And he had some students with money but for whatever reason didn't want to ask them so he told me he needed sixty thousand dollars so he could get a sixty thousand dollar loan from the bank so i didn't have 60 i had forty thousand i went to my parents and i said can i borrow twenty thousand dollars and they said why i said well boring wants to open a jujitsu school and blah 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 and they're going like and you want to invest your money into it plus this? And I said, yeah. They go, Richard, are you sure? I mean, people were saying, Richard, a martial arts school. <laughs> so my parents saw the passion that I had. They saw what, how much my life changed, and they did it. We went to the bank, got the $60,000 loan. The Gracie Academy in Torrance was born. Wow. And it was very slow going because we were getting noticed, but he went from private classes in a garage to, you know, and maybe, and there would maybe be some semi-privates and maybe a group class once a week, mm-hmm. you know, roll to group classes with like six or eight guys. And then maybe some privates, the price of the privates went up. Remember, when I started, I was paying $10 a half an hour. Wow. <laughs> and then after that, a few years later, went to 20 But when you're in some place, you got to pay rent. It went, you know, the, the classes were, you know, probably was three triple. And then to take a group class once a week, it was 80 So it was $20 a class for an hour class. So, you know, and we were having a hard time making it because in the academy, he had Hoyler, Hoyce, Hickson, and Horan was running the school. Hmm. So that's a big payroll because all these guys, except for Hoyce, had families. Horian had kids. Hoyler had kids. Hickson had kids. And there's bills to pay. Mm-hmm. So... We were getting close to being shut down. The sheriffs, I remember the sheriffs coming one time and Horian would talk his way out, you know, because they wanted to shut the doors because we couldn't pay the rent. And he finally came out with some inaction 
videos which helped keep the place afloat. And then he met Art Davey. Art Davey was a student, and they started talking about how to do this, how to get this, you know, on a pay-per-view. You know, they called it the War of the Worlds and all sorts of different things. And finally, they came up with the UFC. And we had an office a block away, and they were looking for investors. I invested money. My parents invested money, and a few of my friends invested money. Hmm. And the UFC was born. But, you know, and this was basically just to show the world about jujitsu. And that's what it did. And it's turned out to be something. I mean, it wasn't successful because the rules. Remember, in the early UFC, there was no rules except for no eye gouging mm -hmm. and biting. That, those were the rules. No eye gouging and biting. And there were no time limits in fights. Mm. So if you blocked out two hours, you better hope the last fight is done. Like when Hoist and, and uh, what was that wrestler's name? Um, Ken, the Shamrock. Ken Shamrock. Yeah. When they fought, basically they fought a long fight. And the, la the fight was done, fun, I think, finished in the last 30 seconds of the broadcast. No, after the broadcast ended. Oh, wow. <laughs> it kind of went, well, we can't do this because, you know, back then it was strict. You got it, it after that, it's done. Mm -hmm. So changed some rules and they ended up selling the UFC. And, uh, you know, I never made any money, got my money back plus 10%. But the UFC wasn't successful until we walked away. Mm. But there were all those little things that, that and in my book, I write about what it was like, how my life was different, how I went from using drugs, and what my my diet, my lifestyle, and later teaching and telling the stories of of what it was like in the early days, because I I refer to it kind of as the Wild West, because we were challenging people. It wasn't go down the street to, you know, the Machados or this person or that person's jiu-jitsu. I mean, now, every three or four miles, you can find a jiu-jitsu school. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, this was, you wanted jiu-jitsu, you went to Horan's Garage. Mm -hmm. Period. And then when his brother came over, you know, Hoist started teaching. And then, you know, when Hickson came over, he, he had a house, you went to Hickson's Garage. So, you know, but it's a completely different time now. Yeah, I'd like to kind of go into that is obviously having been one of the original students of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the United States and having to see where it is today, what are kind of your thoughts? What have you seen in, in the sense of the, the evolution of Jiu-Jitsu as to from where, from what you were learning to what it is today, and and I'd like to even get your insight on where you feel like it's it's headed. Well, to me, I think jujitsu. There's a part of me like the old school guys, uh, Fabio Santos, um, even Hickson himself, has said it, it's it's getting very, in one sense, it's diluted. 
because jujitsu and, and and what tells me this is when people talk about well let me ask you guys what is jujitsu if someone says hey like what do you like so much about this thing we call jujitsu is it a how how do you define it so for me i'll go first and then i'll let coach go since coach is more experienced for me for me jujitsu on a personal note has been very much to your point this a i, I, I don't want to use the word system but it's an avenue or it's a it's an expression of self-defense for me, right? And the and the way that we talk about it at our school is that, you know, we are playing kill. It is it is it is war. It is battle and that it's I guess you can, if you're considering it a one-on-one it's that two people are going into into this battle and the fact that it's jiu-jitsu and the fact that we're training in the martial arts that it's again, we are playing kill that we are pushing ourselves to engage human to human to a certain point. And it's to, in a sense, replicate, I don't know if replicating death is the right word, but to get to that point and to say, hey, if this goes any further, yeah, one of us are going to lose our lives sort of deal. But there's this concept of, I mean, I can get super philosophical about it, but I think, I think I'm going to end up going down that route if I don't, if I don't end this. But I would say, simply put, for me, <laughs> jujitsu is, is a, it's an expression of, war to me if i were to define it in that sense right now as a practical system i'd say yes it's an absolute system of of self-defense it is a system of martial arts right that there is action that there is violence involved um and then that's kind of where the whole spirituality of martial arts kicks in it's like we're two warriors battling it out with the understanding and the agreement that we're not here to kill each other, but we are here to better ourselves through those, through these actions. And it's going to hurt <laughs> at times. So, but yeah, that, that's the way I would probably describe it. And Brian. So, <laughs> you know, I, I know the, the, they use the term jujitsu, you know, as the gentle art. And I, I, you know, I use the term jujitsu in my school, PCI jujitsu, just for recognition of, a grappling martial art. I look at everything as submission grappling. And I personally teach a hybrid grappling system. I teach grappling for fighting. So I I have the BJJ aspect, but I also have catch wrestling, judo, Greco-Roman, and also Dutch kickboxing. I throw all of it together, right? Because I'm black belt in all those systems. And I don't think any one of them is perfect. I think that you need all of them to be a complete fighter. So my mindset is if you're either doing grappling for fighting or you're missing out in terms of what the essence of real grappling is. And so I can only look at it in terms of how I teach, how I express it and uh, what I'm trying to pass down to my students, because at least for me, I see stuff that's so watered down today um, in this kind of sport of jujitsu that's taken over, it looks more like a Cirque du Soleil or interpretive dance than it does a, a fight. And that is a deep concern for me. It's a deep, deep concern because I think it, uh, so many people now have lost the essence of what it truly means to be in battle and to grapple to save your life. 
You said the key word that I was looking for. And and that's the sportive. So many people refer to jujitsu as a sport. And I just and that to me is one of the things that's wrong. And so when people say this, you know, because I've been on other podcasts and they say, Oh yeah, jujitsu is a great sport. And I said that's one of the problems right there. Jujitsu is a self-defense martial art with a sportive aspect. Yeah. But it's not it's you don't refer to jujitsu as a sport. And one of the things that's happening, and I think, especially as we get older, is that after a while, a person is going to lose their strength and their speed. So the only thing that we have left is our technique. So... What I see in jujitsu is what I like to, I refer to it as almost like high school wrestling. It's the younger, fitter guys that come in and just want to clash and, and mix it up. But it's not sustainable because you don't see guys staying in something wrestling, a lot of people staying in wrestling without trashing their bodies. So we have to learn how to how to roll smart because if you stay in this as long as I've stayed in it, your bodies cannot sustain it without, you know, I see a lot of guys that have had surgeries um, and that's something I don't want to go under. I don't want to go into the knife and I've discovered a body work that has saved, it's literally saved my body. The only surgery that I'm going to have to probably do coming up very soon is about two months ago, I got a hernia. Mm-hmm. I guess has to be re- has to be repaired surgically. But I've never had a... I mean, I've had problems with my back, with my neck, with my shoulders, with my knees, and they've all been corrected by having having my body worked on. I mean, some people call it luck. I learned how to do this therapy. I did it on my mom, and my mom walked around. She was my mom lived to be ninety-seven, and up until maybe, gosh, she fell down and broke her hip mm. at ninety-four, and I helped her through that. But before then, everyone was saying to her, "Like, wow, how, how do you walk around with such energy and with such, you know?" vibrance and you're not walking around in pain because I used to work on my mom weekly to help her through this the same work that I've had done to me and so it's helped save my body Mm. but but I've also have to modify the way that I train you can't keep doing something that's going to trash your body you know you could do it when you're young and you could your body you know you, you recover faster so what I see in jujitsu is guys relying on their strength and speed way too much when you, without relying enough on technique. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, I, I tend to, because I, I'm friends with, with Horian's boys, I go to Grace University. Um, I see Hiran and Henner. They're both amazing practitioners, amazing teachers. 
and they've turned out some great guys. And I like their philosophy is, you know, you train smart. There was just a, a, uh, I think a week ago or, or something like that, there was a black belt exchange, like 150 to 200 black belts came from all over yeah. uh, on a Sunday and spent four hours just to kind of meet everybody, see what's going on, share the techniques that we're doing into, into, and, you know, I think the reason that they did it is to show what they're doing, because if you have this competitive, I have to beat the guy, I have to beat the guy, you can still show your dominance without destroying your partner. Mm-hmm. So I see that's one of my biggest concerns with jiu-jitsu right now is just the people, how they how they refer to it and the amount of power. I always tell people, I said, look, if you're strong and you're fast, good for you, especially if you're a good, uh, for, you know, a new student. But I said, put it on the back burner for now. Learn some techniques and and I'm jealous. All I can say is I'm jealous. I wish I had your power. I wish I had your speed. But I guarantee you, if you stay in jiu-jitsu long enough, it, you're not going to keep it. Yeah. It yeah. changes. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I hope I got my message across. I felt like I was... <laughs> no, that was that was great. You know, I, I have a... I guess you can say this would be considered, a, a in my opinion, a deeply personal reflective question. Uh, it could be a little controversial, but whatever. It is what it is. So <laughs> there's been a lot of arguing and controversy over the years over belt rankings. It is I, I don't I can't even comprehend how you would technically be considered sixth degree when you should by the you know, the amount of time and everything you've been doing, you're at least a corral belt. And I know people that have been black belts way less time than you that are at either same rank or higher rank than you. And I'm not going to name any names. So I know that they, you know, you have the, the IBJJF side, which I personally completely ignore. I could care less what they say or do. Um, they're a for-profit tournament company that tries to regulate how people give belts and stripes and all that. And I could care less what they say or do. Um, but I also know that even on Alio's side of things, he made many arbitrary decisions over the years in terms of who was getting belts, who was getting stripes. If somebody was a black belt, how many stripes that they got. And, you know, people have tried to kind of regulate it and make adjustments over the years. But I want to know your thoughts, where you're at now, how it started for you, how you saw people magically getting stripes. And some people did, some people didn't. How do you feel about all that? You know, you're right. It is a little controversial. And there's a guy that uh, that I heard. I, I, I'm not going to mention any names until I know that he has for sure gotten it. But he got his black belt after me. Um, and I heard, and he got it four years after me. And I heard that he's getting, he's going to get his coral belt. And there's a, another guy that's I'm close to. Um, it's a six degree black belt. Steve Maxwell. Mm. You know, Steve and I are friends. 
And we've talked about this. And, and we don't know what, what's going to happen. Put it this way. It's not going to make me any tougher right. the older I get. All I'm doing, it's like basically it's time in, sharing, learning, and giving back. I mean, I want to make everybody who comes to me better than me. And, and that's why I give them whatever I can give them. Mm-hmm. As far as the, the whole thing, it, it depends. I mean, the IBJJF thing has a different rule than, let's say, if Helson says somebody is a, a black belt, and then Horian, you know, when he gave Hickson his red belt that Hickson didn't put on, I mean, it kind of changes. It's There is no one set. This, these are the rules, period. I, I don't, I don't feel I'm uh, qualified. Maybe isn't the word, but it's kind of like if it happens, it happens. I don't know who's going to give me a coral belt because Horian's really not my teacher anymore. I mean, Horian didn't give me my black belt. Fabio Santos gave me my black. I mean. Wow. Since you guys don't know about, haven't read my book. Um, no, I wasn't saying that. As a, I'm, I'm going to send you. <laughs> but I got kicked out of the academy. Hori and I had a disagreement. I was let go. After I was let go, you guys know who Fabio Santos yeah, of is? Yes. Yeah. So he's a Hickson black belt. Um. So. Fabio calls me, and he hears what happened, and he goes, Richard, I can't believe that that happened. And I said, I can't believe that Horian didn't give you your black belt. I'm giving you your black belt. I never even saw him. He goes, go to the martial arts store and get a black belt. (laughs) In West L.A., I go to a martial arts store. I walk in. I go, yeah, I had a black belt. The guy wouldn't sell me one. He goes, do you have a certificate? I said, no, I don't have a certificate. He says, sorry, can't do it. Like, oh, my God. So I, when I was at Krav Maga, I told them that. And they said, Richard, and they gave me one of the black belts. And they said, here, put this on. So, you know, that's how that happened. And then maybe, gosh, 10 years later, 12 years later, I get a call from Hidon Gracie. After Horian and I re- reconciled, he calls me about, I don't know, five or six years later. And he said, look, we had a misunderstanding. And so I said, okay. Anyways, so Hidon calls me, and this is 2010, already 12 years after I had my black belt. He says, look, we're having a special commemoration for my father. We'd like you to come and say a few words. You know, it's going to be at the belt ceremony. Would you, would you do that? I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So I went in there to do, you know, to, like, say a few words, and they're having their belt ceremony. And then they say, "Okay, we'd like to make a uh, we'd like to to make a uh, a special um, belt, whatever they called it. We want to present somebody with a belt." And I'm going like, "Huh?" And they go, "Richard Bressler, come up." Mm. It was basically they said that just to get me in there to get the official black belt from. 
from the Gracie Academy. Oh, okay. They technically have two black belts. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, they did that there. And, you know, so, but as far as the ranking, I don't know how to answer your question, Brian. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is what it, what it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's just so arbitrary. That's why, you know, just to more add more fuel to the fire, you know, they, you know, I, I understand, you know, the Gracie's did their thing, you know, they decided to create their own, um, interpretation of judo and Kosen judo and, and whatnot. And I won't get in this episode. I won't get into the, you know, the, the dirty details of all that, but it was their arbitrary ranking system. And then there's so much infighting within the family for years and years and years. Everybody's kind of done their own thing, right? Hickson has his jujitsu global federation. He tries to have his own ranking system. I remember one time watching a video of Elio putting multiple stripes on a black belt for Heron and Henner just randomly. Here you go. You're a fifth degree. Here you go. You're a third degree or whatever it was. And I was just like, huh? It was like, completely random and then you know carlinos has his thing with the ibjjf and blah 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 so it's incredibly arbitrary and everybody kind of argues over it back and forth about who who really knows how to rank these people but at the end of the day they invented their own ranking system they're not they're technically following the judo ranking system where it kind of came from but they're not they're still not because they're doing their own thing and they're not holding to there isn't a universal standard. There isn't a set curriculum that every single practitioner in the United States or around the world for a quote BJJ uses. We all know that it's completely arbitrary, right? Right. So it's like really up to, I guess the individual black belt in terms of how they develop their students, you know, in terms of what their criteria is, but then, you know, on the black belt side of things. Yeah. Like you were saying, okay, well now you go, okay, is Fabio Santos going to give you your corral belt? I know he got his corral belt from Helsin. If I, if I, if I understand correctly, he got his Helsin Gracie gave him his, his, his corral belt. He didn't get it from Hickson. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, yeah, then what? And then it comes down to Ed and I have had this discussion before because he said to me, Hey, you know, you teach a hybrid grappling system. Do you even care anymore if you get more stripes in BJJ? I'm like, not particularly, but it's more just because I have that connection. You know, I think it's more for the audience than anything else. And for the public, they go, Ooh, you're how many stripes. But at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of all bullshit. You know, either, you know how to develop students or you don't. And one of the big things, Richard, that I really appreciate, because I have the same philosophy my goal is to make my students better than me. I want every single person that walks in that gym that is committed to me to be better than me in every single way. And I don't see that as a universal commitment in the jujitsu community. There's way too many people that they don't want their students better than them. They want to be king of the hill. They want to, it's almost like they would feel embarrassed or humiliated if their students got better than them. And to me, it's just like, here's how I know that my stuff works. My students can get me with it. That's how I know how effective it is because I can have a white belt do it to me and it works versus I don't want to be that black belt like, oh, I'm going to show you all this stuff, but haha, it's never going to work on anybody. Well, then what's the point of teaching? 
it becomes self-serving. It becomes megalomania. It's now no longer about uh, that humility of desiring to get people better. You know, I'm glad you, you say this because I love in class when I show these guys something. And after class, they go, oh, my God, Richard, this really worked. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> wanted to show you the crap that didn't work. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, that's the only stuff I'm going to show you, yeah. you know? And, and when I do show you something, it, like I, I, I promoted a guy um, earlier this year, been with me for about eight years. He got his purple belt, well-deserved. But he's 150 pounds. And the guy that owns the school that I'm at is 260 pounds. Wow. And he, and he, you know, and he's a very athletic, you know, he's a big boy, he's five, maybe six foot, but 260. And he, he can range from 250 to 270 almost overnight, you know. I go, what, did you eat a big meal last night? He goes, yeah. He said, I went to the bathroom and lost 10 pounds. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. But when we, some of the times when I show a move, and this one guy goes to do the move on the big boy, and the move doesn't work. He said, I can't get him with this. So I tried. I said, I can't get him either. I said, here's the deal. I said, first of all, the school owner's 31 years old. I'm still 71. I won't say 72 yet. <laughs> the other guy is 38 years old. And he's 100 pounds less. I said, when you're dealing with somebody who has 100 pounds on you, I don't recommend you play an aggressive game. You play an offensive game. You have to, because the more you risk playing offensive, that's what gets you, that could get you into trouble. Mm -hmm. So I said, when I have to deal with someone who's that much bigger, my game completely, because what is jujitsu? It is a self-defense. Mm -hmm. If you get something from your defense where you can catch the person, great. But play a little more defensive because all I want to be able to do with dealing with that bigger person, I want to be able to survive. I don't have any, any fantasies that I'm going to finish some guy who is 100 pounds bigger and half of my age. It's just, unless I have a gun and he's maybe, you know, 15 feet away. Yep. And he's not charging me. <laughs> yeah. Richard, I'd like to kind of, as we start to lean into wrapping up the show, I'd like to ask you, because I've appreciated your insight about what, you know, obviously as we get older, you know, what our bodies are physically capable of, what is practical, what is impractical. And with your experience and where you are at now with your, with your age, with your physique, uh, your health, with, with basically everything, how has jujitsu, how has your approach and maybe interaction with jujitsu changed what has it become has it become more or less so when I, and the reason i'm saying this is i feel like when you are when we are younger you know 
like I'm 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 recovering from an injury right now. I broke my thumb. But it's kind of like as we are younger and we're able to be more aggressive, we're able to be more physical, we're able to engage or be more aggressive. And then as we get older, like even when I work with coach, Coach Brian, it's like, yeah, I'm careful because I know he has shoulder injuries and stuff like that. And I'm not there to kill him or hurt him in that sense. But at what point, what is jujitsu like for you today? Is it more or less kind of philosophical? Is it more kind of... As, as if I were to create an analogy, the joke of the old Kung Fu masters in the mountains with their long, <laughs> long beards, where it's more, it's not so much of a physical thing, but more of a mental and maybe more of a spiritual thing. Has it changed into that for you or has it maintained just kind of, these are the things that I've learned and these are the things that I'm teaching and these are the things that I've developed physically? Well, one of the things... I was in a very unique position to to learn from Horian for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he did for me, whether consciously or unconsciously, is one of the same things that I do for my students. And I'm constantly, if you ask anybody, what's the one word that you'll hear me say more than any word when I'm teaching? They'll all tell you it's relax and calm, slow. And because when you're in a confrontation, and this is one of the biggest dealings that I had with Krav Maga, because Krav Maga, their self-defense was if you attack them, you have to attack and explode and explode and get it done within 10 or 15 seconds and then get out. But if somebody grabs you and you go down to the ground and they grab you, especially if they're a lot bigger than you, and they're grabbing you and they're attacking you, you're probably going to piss them off. And if they're much bigger, they're going to start pounding you. So, and I've always said, guys, especially in that position, if you don't know how to relax and be calm in those high-stress situations, you're going to burn out really fast. So when you're learning a technique, and this takes a long time. I've had guys come up to me three years after being with me. I finally, now I know what you mean by relax. Because you can tell somebody something, but having that body experience, you can tell yourself to do something, but just the same way I'll tell myself, clean up this apartment, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I heard the words. But for me to take the action, it takes constantly repeating, repeating, repeating. So you're kind of like, and then when 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 I was choking Horn, let's say going back to the beginning when I would do a collar choke, I would do it like most guys do it or any kind of a choke. Everybody flexes and they you know, so when I teach, and I've taught black belts, different color belts, students now, guys that come in, and I just so guys, use the technique really just, so Horian would always take me, when I'm doing a color choke, I'd flex my arms, he'd grab my arm and he'd go, relax, relax, just use your body, just use the technique, and so that's what I, the message is, especially going, guys, 
calm, relaxed, practice that way, practice that way. So at least you get, if you ever have to use this, if you're practicing and you're always at the, that, that, that adrenaline, you're going to burn out quickly. So learn how to breathe and learn how to, to do your best to stay calm. Hmm. And that, that's my biggest message. You know, whether that turns into something spiritual, I mean, I think it's a lesson for all of us in high-stress situations. I know I, look, I find myself going, okay, Richard, I remind myself to breathe. I'm very aware of when I get, you know, when I get up uptight. And, you know, like my mom was saying to me before she passed, she goes, I thought this was supposed to make you more calm. <laughs> and all I would say to her, you know, because when I'd be when I'd lose patience and I would just say, can you imagine if I didn't have jujitsu, how I'd be? <laughs> you know, it's just it, it's. It's doing my best to spread a message and to and to live like that and keep passing it along. That's the techniques are there. It's good. But the message is also how you're learning. I mean, look. A couple weeks ago, there was a guy doing a technique, and I wanted to make him get it perfect. And I kind of, and I got, you know, going, no, like this, like this. And I, and I, you know, the boss came to me, the guy who owns the place. He says, Richard, you know, you got really upset. And I go, you know, I thought about it. I went, yeah, I did. And, you know, and I just have to let it go because, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I'm doing my best. But my intentions were to get this guy to a certain level, but I have to relax and not be attached to the results and just do what I do. Mm. So I'm learning along with them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, can you, uh, where can people find your book? My book is called Worth Defending. It's available on Amazon. You can go to uh, richardbressler.com find a link there you can find it you can find me on instagram or facebook but but if you look under worth defending how gracious you'll find it there and uh and they can read about you know how this whole thing started you know why we're all crazy about this thing called jujitsu yeah yeah very cool well richard thank you so much for your time and insight sharing the stories. It's, it's such, it's such, it's so cool to just kind of have this insider perspective of what it was like in the early days. And just to also really understand what you've been through. Um, I mean, literally I would basically the godfather of, of, of jujitsu out here. Cause you've been there since day one with the originals all the way to what it is today. You've seen the evolutions, you've seen the changes, uh, you've seen what it's become and what it could become and where it's coming from. And I, I will admit, I, I'm looking forward to reading your book. Um, and so, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your insight on all of this. And, and, and thanks for really sharing some of your knowledge on, you know, especially with the concepts around just relaxing and being calm to our listeners. So thank you. One, one thing, if I can just, mm -hmm. people use that godfather. I, I don't like the term personally because I'm not. And I was doing, I was an ambassador. Okay. 
the guy that saw something yeah. and I wanted I wanted others to see it. That's that was my role to to do my best and help and and just share and about it that's so. awesome that's I, I yeah no i apologize and i will say as the ambassador of jiu-jitsu so very cool well yeah coach anything else www.sanablesports.com forward slash pci jiu-jitsu for 10 percent off all of your purchases that's a perpetual code guys so every time you put into pci jiu-jitsu on exit when you are purchasing on your checkout you will always get a discount with Sanibel Sports. Okay, we are brand ambassadors for Sanibel, so help us out. Um, yeah, we got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, be surprises, and uh, yeah, this was awesome. Thank you, Richard. This was great. Uh, very insightful. Very, very insightful. Thank you. Can I, can we talk a little bit after we end the yes, the sir. Podcast? Absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. All right, we'll catch you guys all in the next one. Have a good one. <laughs>